please remain standing as we read Matthew 6, 19 to 34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then, the light in in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It is, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more val- of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this beautiful Sunday where we could come to your house and worship you. We ask that you open our hearts as you speak through Pastor Dave um, and hear what uh, you want us to say in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for that reading of the scripture. I've entitled my message today, Who Owns Your Heart? And uh, the first point I want to make is this. Be careful to guard your heart. One of the main emphases in the Sermon on the Mount up until this point, and including today's passage, has been the matter of the heart. Pastor Mike likes to say, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. And so who owns your heart? That's what Jesus wants you to be careful about. And so in in the Beatitudes, he talks about The kind of person who has entered the kingdom of heaven. He's given an invitation to enter the kingdom of heaven. He said that it's come here right now down to earth. The kingdom of heaven is here because I'm the king and I'm here. And so when you enter the kingdom of heaven, he expects that you're going to be transformed. And so he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That's the the mark of a person whose heart has been transformed and shaped and molded by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says to his disciples, if you can become people like this, through God's empowerment, by the power of God's Spirit, then you will be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You will be the ones who point people to God and make his name famous. 
Then in verses 17 to 20, he claims, I'm going to fulfill all the law and the prophets. And listen to this, verse 20. Your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Otherwise, there is no way you will get into the kingdom of heaven. And the scribes and the Pharisees were sticklers for the law. I mean, they were the experts. They were the ones who devoted their whole life to obeying every single commandment in the law of Moses. And Jesus says, you've got to be more righteous than that. And the only way to do that is to be changed from within. So that our obedience to God is not just a matter of outward display, but something that's soul deep. It comes from a conviction that's gotten down into the marrow of our bones, so to speak. And that's what he's after in the Sermon on the Mount. And then in verses 21 to 48 of chapter 5, he gives his interpretation of certain of the Ten Commandments and others. So, for example, it's not enough to refrain from committing homicide. If you have anger in your heart, you're in danger of being judged. And it's not enough to commit for, to refrain from committing the physical act of adultery. If you look at someone to lust after them, you have already committed adultery in your heart. So obedience has to be something that comes from within, from a cleansed and purified heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And the only way to have a cleansed and purified heart is to come to Jesus at the cross to acknowledge that he is the son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead. And at that moment, at that point, all sins are forgotten by God. Hebrews 8, 12 says, I will remember their sins no more. So I want to say my, my next, the next heading is this. Your money matters to God. Believe it or not, what Jesus has to say about money in the next verses also has to do with the condition and position of your heart. Your, your money matters to God. He makes a radical statement in verse 24 of chapter 6. This, this is really, you know, listen carefully. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve God and money. That's a strong statement. And it applies especially to us who live in one of the wealthiest societies that has ever been in the history of the human race. We have more money and stuff than anybody at any time in history. And so we need to hear Jesus' words clearly. What he's saying is this, money has the capacity, it has the special potential to become a rival God in our lives. So that it can happen that we start to love money with all our heart, soul, mind and strength rather than God. And Jesus said you can't do that. You have to make a choice. It's either going to be one or the other. It's either God or money. No middle ground. And so I want to uh, spend the rest of the time talking about how to how to have the right focus of your heart. Because we have to have money to live. We can't. He doesn't just say divest yourself of all your stuff and go be a hermit in a monastery somewhere. He doesn't say that. And so we need to learn how to live rightly with 
the material blessings that God has given. And so the next heading that I have, and this is one I'm going to land on for a while, the, the most powerful way to avoid the seduction of money and stuff is to know that you matter to God. Now that's a simple statement. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. But you matter to God. You have great value to him. And I will, let me read verses 25 and 26. Because Jesus is saying, don't worry about your stuff, about having enough to live on. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Then listen to this. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. We would expect him to say, I was expecting him to say, my heavenly father feeds them. But he says, your heavenly father feeds them. And then he asks a rhetorical question that expects a yes, of course, answer. Listen carefully. Are you not of much more value than they? And the expected answer is, why, of course. So the point is, if God feeds the birds then he will certainly feed you and provide you with the physical needs that you need to live and survive and even thrive. So he asked, he asked that question, are you not more valuable than they? Have you ever thought about the value? And I don't want us to get proud about it or narcissistic about it, but the Bible says that we have, Jesus just said it. We have great value to God, far more than the rest of his creation. And he loves the rest of his creation. But human beings are the crowning glory of everything that God made because they bear his image in a way that other created things do not. And so Jesus wants you and me to know that his father is our father when we begin to follow him. With all the privileges and blessings that come along with that. So let me paraphrase what Jesus, the point Jesus is making here. He says, since you are my siblings, and the Bible says that Hebrews 2 verse 11, he is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Since you are my siblings, the sons and daughters of God, don't you think that you are more, worth more to him than the birds? Well, of course you are. Well, then, if your heavenly father feeds the birds, he will certainly provide you with your food, clothing and shelter. So the first step in having a right attitude toward money is to know that you matter to God. So much so that he would send his only begotten son to die on the cross and rise from the grave so that you and I might live. That's how much you're worth. You never need ever doubt that again in your whole life because the cross is God's proof of his love for you and his love, his, his value, the value that he puts on you. 
The cross is like the flag of a great king planted in enemy territory saying, this territory is now mine. And it's proof of my love for the world and for you. So I want to say a little bit more about this because let me ask you a question, though, before I go any further. When you think about what God thinks about you, okay, do you, do you imagine God with a smile or a scowl on his face? And if you're like me, it depends on how you're doing in a given day, right? It makes all the difference. But the Bible says that God is not, he doesn't change. There's no shadow caused by turning with God, James says. And so Jesus called God, I just want to say this about Jesus and God. He called God his father in the Gospels more than 165 times. 65 times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and over 100 times in the Gospel of John. And what he means by doing that, and that was unheard of. I mean, the, the Jewish people as a nation thought of God as their collective father, but no rabbi would ever have prayed to God, my father. Or would he have taught his disciples to pray to God, our father? So when Jesus refers to God as father, he's referring to the one of a kind relationship that he has with God. And, and we, get an, we get a glimpse of God's attitude towards Jesus and how unique that relationship was when he was baptized. The Bible says in Matthew 3, 16 to 17, and he, that is Jesus, saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and resting on him. So Jesus saw visibly the Holy Spirit come down out of heaven, land on him and stay there. Then it says, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We could paraphrase something like this. This is my dearly loved son and I am absolutely delighted with him. The Bible says that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are God's child. And that means that God has the same attitude toward you that he had toward Jesus, that he has toward Jesus. It's one of pure delight. And it doesn't change with our changing days. Now, if we do wrong, he'll correct us, of course, but never out of punishment, always out of love and always because he delights in us and always because he always wants us to become more and more like Jesus. So the Apostle Paul says that God's spirit also talks to our spirit to remind us that we are the children of God. This is Romans 8, 14 to 16. For we have not received a spirit of slavery again to fear. But we have received a spirit of adoption as sons in whom we cry, Abba, Father. And what, what Paul is talking about there is not just a theoretical thing. It's an experience of the presence and love of God through the Holy Spirit that makes a person spontaneously cry out, Abba. Like a child would with his or her arms wide open for their dad. 
And then verse 16 says this, and the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. So let me tell you this, let me be bold and tell you this. If you ever think anything differently from that, it's not coming from God. Because the Bible says the testimony and that the word witness uh, testify is a legal term that would have been used of someone who gives witness in court who puts his hand on a Bible and says this is the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help me God that's the spirit's testimony in our spirit that we are the children of God The strongest antidote to the power of money to become a rival God is to know that you matter to God. When I know that, when I'm convinced of that, and don't get me wrong, I don't walk around 100% of the time in that knowledge. I feel just like you do sometimes that I've had a crappy day and God must have crappy thoughts about me. But I have to, I have to come back to what the Bible says. And if I've done something wrong, all I have to do, all I have to do, but I have to confess it, admit it, ask forgiveness. And the Bible said God forgets. Hebrews 8, 12. This is the covenant I'll make with those with them in those days, he said. So I want you to get that today. Above all, if you don't remember anything else, remember this line. You matter to God. Always. He is delighted in you if you are a follower of Jesus but that leads us to the next heading once we once we are convinced of that then we can we can believe that God the creator our father is our source for everything so when that truth gets down into your soul that's why Jesus made the comparison with the birds God is your father and he, we sang this, God is so good and so generous. You can trust him to provide for your needs. Making money and accumulating stuff, may not, maybe it's not the ultimate goal of your life. It, it isn't in mine, I can honestly say that. But here's what does happen. It, it, it becomes our God in another sneaky way. Because we begin to be anxious and worry about whether we're going to have enough. But we have enough to pay the bills. We're going to get by this month. And we start to look at our job, our career, our employer, our bank account, and the level of stuff that we have. We start to look to those things for our security. And so money sneaks up on us. It's subtle, almost like a person an evil person and gets us to worry and Jesus said don't be anxious why not because God is your father you can trust him he provides for the birds and you are way more valuable than they are this may sound like a you know it may sound like a simple truth but for me it has huge meaning immense meaning in the darkest days of my breakdown for a five-year period or more there. I worried a lot about money because I wasn't working and Sandy was working but not making a huge salary at the time. 
And so I was constantly worrying about paying the bills and all that. And then we were, we were attending at that time a Light and Life Church, Christian Fellowship in North Long Beach. And Pastor Larry Wachemeyer was the pastor and he would preach his sermon, series of sermons on money and giving at the, at the new year, every, every new year he would have a series about that. And what he always stressed that helped me more than anything else he said, and there was a lot of practical stuff, but he said this, you have got to look to God and nothing else as your source. And that made a big difference. That helped me when I would find myself becoming anxious about stuff and not having enough. And I would say who, to myself, sometimes out loud, don't do that if there's people around. But if I was alone, I would have to say it out loud sometimes. Who is your source? God is your source. And he loves you. He takes delight in you. Another song we sing about God is this one. You're a good, good father. That's who you are. And I am loved by you. That's who I am. And Jesus will say later on in the sermon that God is a generous, giving father. Chapter 7, verses 7 to 11, he says his famous words, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For... Some people who ask, everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks will find. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. Or which one of you, if his son will ask for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake instead? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, to your children, how much more will your father give good things to those who what? Ask. So that's another thing you can do. When you, when you find yourself becoming anxious about stuff, tell yourself, God is my source. That stuff is not God. And number two, just simply ask. God, you promised that you would provide. And I'm asking, I'm seeking and I'm knocking. So it's important to understand who God is as our father. And I just want to make one more point before I move on to my next heading. And that is to say this. Jesus loved to speak of God as his father and as the father of his disciples. But when he's doing that, let me tell you and make it clear what he's not doing. He is not taking human fathers as an example or an analogy and say, look, your father takes care of you. God is like that. No, that's not what he's doing. He is pointing to God as the ultimate example, the ultimate paradigm of what a good father is. God is the pattern. And how do we know how good God is? Jesus had a conversation with his disciples in John 14. And one of them named Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Now listen to Jesus answer. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and still you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? 
That's almost as drop dead stunning as I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you have seen me, Jesus says, you have seen God. God is like me. If that wasn't a true statement, he should have been stoned to death for that, according to the law of the day. And so we know that God is love. We have physical, material, historical proof of it in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So turn to God as your source and then finally live with the end in mind. Live with the end. I didn't make that up. I got it from a guy who wrote a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Efficient People. So I just plagiarized. But I don't remember his name, so... But that's the title of the book. You can find it in Google. So let me read Matthew 6, 19 to 21, and then also verse 33. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there, there it is, the heart again. Jesus is after your heart. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will also be. And then verse 33, he says, But seek first the kingdom of God, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added. They're attached to it. So, Jesus said, don't invest all your time, your energy, your resources, your money in the stuff of this earth. And one of the main reasons for that is all that stuff is going to pass away and lose its value one way or another. Now, in Jesus' day, one of the signs of wealth was, at, was to have uh, the equivalent of modern high fashion clothing. You had wealthy clothing, rich and royal like garments. You were a rich person. And what Jesus is saying is a bug can destroy all that stuff. And all their cash was in the form of metal coins and the process of nature, the natural corrosion that happens in nature could cause even a metal coin of gold to diminish in value. And if even if that wouldn't happen, there's a there's a way that every person here is going to lose your stuff. And that is. When we die. Every human being on the planet Earth, whoever has lived or will live except for one, has died or will die. The mortality rate of the human race is 100%. 100%. So that means we will be parted from our stuff. So Jesus says... You know, make a separation in your heart now. Yes, you need those things to live. I understand that. That's why he told them that God would provide. But he said the real treasure is in heaven. Store up treasure there. Put it in that bank. Take your capital, your spiritual capital, and put it in that bank. Because... It will never be destroyed and it does truly last forever. The good things that you do for God in Jesus name in this life will follow you past the grave, which money and stuff will never do. 
Nothing can destroy any good deed that you have done in Jesus' name. Back in the 80s and 90s, I used to see this bumper sticker a lot. I'd kind of cringe. He who dies with the most toys wins. You've seen it. Not anymore, thank God. Maybe people have gotten over that. But I saw another one more rarely, but I would see it from time to time. He who dies with the most toys still dies. And so it's important to truly live that we have a healthy grasp of our own mortality. That we live with the end in mind. It's coming. We don't need to fear it if we're followers of Jesus, but we do need to understand that it's coming. It's real unless Jesus comes first. Each one of us will meet our end in physical death. And then only my grandmother used to have a plaque in her house. My grandpa was a pastor. And so she had a plaque that I thought was kind of silly at the time. But it makes sense to me now. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Amen. So I want to I want to close by sharing how to invest in heavenly treasure. And I've got a bunch of things. So if you got a pen to write them down, I know nobody will possibly be able to remember them all. I can't. But number one, ask God daily to transform you into a beatitude kind of person. So read Matthew 5, 3 to 11 to find out what that is. Make that a daily prayer. Lord, change me so that I'm like this. Ask God daily to empower you to manage your anger. Remember, Jesus said, if you're angry with your brother, then you're in danger of judgment. So ask God to empower you to manage your anger. Ask God daily to keep lust from your mind and heart and, and ask him to help you reject it when it comes there. Sometimes our thoughts come, thoughts come into our mind against our will, but we have a decision whether to entertain them or not. And so ask God to help you put up a fight to eliminate thoughts of lust. Ask God to daily empower you to be the kind of person who keeps your word. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So people know when you say something, you're going to follow through on it and do it. Ask him daily to empower you not to retaliate, either outwardly or inwardly. You know, we can retaliate outwardly by spreading gossip and other ways. We can do it inwardly by holding a grudge. That's a form of retaliation. Ask God to help you not to do that. And then finally, Ask God to help you love your enemies. Ask God to help you. A lot, of, a lot of times when I talk about that verse, people say, well, I don't really have any enemies. And I say, I like to think and say, what about the people in the other political party than you? We're at such a place in America where if you're a different political party, that person is almost considered evil by definition. That's where we are. So we got to love those people. Think of ways to do that. So seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. The kingdom of God exists on earth where it happens according to Jesus prayer. He taught us to pray this. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now that happened perfectly in Jesus' life, but he expected it to happen in the lives of his followers too. So pray that request every day. Oh God, our Father, may your will be done on earth in and through my life right down here as it is in heaven. And then be willing to do what he calls you to do. So let me just wrap up. Conclusion. Know that your money matters to God. How we live with our money counts spiritually. Number two, know that you matter to God. Most important point I made today. You matter to God. Believe that God, the creator, your father, is your source for everything and live with the end in mind. I think if we can live like that, then Jesus will be Lord and we won't have divided loyalty. Join me as we pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Such a powerful word that came from Jesus. Thank you for his promise that we are your children. And for what that means, that you take great delight in us, that we are of great value to you. Father, may no person in here ever forget that. May it be burned into their mind and soul so that we live out of that. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for being willing to be our Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Dave. We respond uh, each week uh, in uh, prayer and communion and singing. And so I want to call you all to the communion table. Uh, Pastor Dave preached to us a, a stellar message about God's love for us. Uh, God demonstrated his love for us by sending us Jesus, and he instituted the sacrament. 